Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Pat Brayer. Pat is the Humane Society of Southern Arizona's clinic director. Pat comes with an in-depth and comprehensive background in animal care and animal welfare. Pat has served as the president of the board and shelter director of the San Gabriel Valley Humane Society. She's also served as the director of the Palm Springs Animal Shelter. Pat knows firsthand about working with a community to control animal overpopulation, making great strides with the Coachella Valley community to provide affordable spay, neuter, and vaccination programs. In her spare time, Pat enjoys NASCAR, interior design, reading, and writing, and is currently working on her first book. Pat also enjoys the company of her cats, Toby, Pumpkin Ballerina, Michi, and Tuffy. Pat, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Stacy. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, Pat, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more specifically how you got involved in animal welfare. I sure can. When I moved to California, I had been living in England for a number of years. A feral cat found its way into my yard, and I felt so sorry for the little scraggly guy that I was leaving him food and water. Well, believe it or not, it took me nine months to trap him, but trap him I did. Took him to be neutered and vaccinated and all that good stuff that you do. And I found out he was FIV positive. And when my vet called me, I basically cried because I just didn't know at that time what FIV was. He had a really rough go of it after surgery and vaccinations, and we almost thought we were going to lose him. But I nursed him back to health, and he's been my loving, loyal companion ever since. And he is a completely indoor cat now. That's great. And it sounds like you've worked with a variety of different organizations and sort of learned over time the different types of programs. And I'm actually going to just do a quick deep dive into a couple programs that you've mentioned to me that I think are incredibly interesting. And I'm just so excited to talk about it and busting out. So tell me a bit about your kitten kindergarten program, when you launched it and what it is and, and how it all works. Wow, kitten kindergarten. I've actually initiated it at all three of my shelters. And I have such a passion for feral cats in particular because they don't always have the easiest of lives as we know. So any kittens that would come to us either trapped or brought in by trappers that were three months of age or under, I've actually taken under my wing, socialized them, and gotten them adopted. And my shelters have always been highly supportive of it. And when I came to Tucson, we were doing a lot of TNR. In fact, HSSA has been doing TNR for over 10 years. We were getting a lot of these young feral kittens. And I thought, there's just no way I can, in good conscience, put them back out at such a young age. So I started keeping them in my office. And thankfully, our COO was very supportive of that and socializing them. Well, my clinic team, of course, how can you resist a kitten? And while some of them were afraid, because as we know, feral kittens can be quite ferocious, 
they started becoming involved with socializing the kittens as well. And we had a spare room in the clinic that we used to call the cat palace. At one time, it housed critically ill cats. And the team spruced it up. We had uh, new flooring laid, and we started taking in feral kittens from our trappers. They, of course, were ecstatic because they didn't really want to put these little tiny guys back out. And the thought that they would all find homes was quite uh, rewarding for everybody. So basically, my whole clinic team is on board with socializing feral kittens, and we've had 82 graduates to date. We currently have a room full of them, so hopefully they will all graduate soon as well. But there's just nothing better than a feral kitten who realizes that people are good, love is good, regular feedings are great, and toys are the best thing since sliced bread. Right. So when you adopt these kittens out, are they sort of labeled in a certain way or presented to folks like that they might be a little bit on the shyer side or they might take some more time to warm up or have a different set of tips that you use when introducing the kittens into the house. I know, I know that there are some other programs around the country that sort of do a bit of a special approach with regards to the feral kittens. Well, we, we do label them as kitten kindergarten and then we explain to our adopters the program that they've been through. But for the most part, they're so highly social by the time they graduate that you really almost wouldn't know the difference between what was a former feral kitten and a domesticated kitten. So we do have a few that are still shy, but we find that the special adopters that are drawn to the shy ones are the ones that are going to make them blossom the most. I know that you mentioned my four cats that I moved to Tucson with, but I've added a few more. <laughs> that were former ferals. And while they still always retain that intuition that a feral cat has, and you'll see it from time to time, for the most part, they're all marshmallows. They all sleep in bed and they have the life of Riley. Do you find that you're having more feral kittens coming into your program versus the socialized kittens? Or are you still sort of heavily inundated with socialized kittens after having 10 years of TNR. Yeah, we're finding there's still more unsocialized than socialized. That's the challenge. I think that as we face, as we're getting much more successful with our spay and neuter programs, we're still the population of cats and kittens that we're having to still deal with is the feral kitten component as well as the adult feral cats. And that's still a challenge because they're sort of not the low-hanging fruit and we have to work hard to sort of filter them out within the community. If you have any tips or ideas on how to reduce the feral kitten population, I think there are lots of people out there that are all all ears in terms of how to manage and, and get those those last feral cats that are out there still producing. Thankfully, we do have a very robust TNR program in, in the community of uh, Tucson, Pima County. So sometimes, obviously, it feels like we can't keep up with the number of feral cats, and I'm sure other communities feel that as, as well. But continuing to support TNR enlisting our trappers. A lot of our trappers have actually become socializers now, which, which truly helps immensely. Sometimes they've been able to be so successful in socializing that they're able to place kittens in homes as well. If they can't, obviously they come into us and that, that works perfectly well for us as well. 
Our shelter has a program that's called the Cat Socialization Program, and they have a whole cadre of volunteers that come in three nights a week, kind of after hours, after shelter hours, and they work with all of our cats and kittens that still may be shy and a little bit unsocialized as well, and and those are kittens and cats of all ages. So I think just obviously continuing um, to support TNR, enlisting as many trappers as possible in a socialization program helps immensely. If we could just convince people, even with their domestic cats, to spay and neuter, even if they allow them outdoors. Obviously, we're in the desert. We have a lot of coyotes and other predators, so we prefer pet cats to be indoors. But obviously, continuing to support TNR and socialization of kittens in particular, you know, and enabling shelters to have the capacity to take them in and perform the programs that we have is probably the most optimal solution of all. Do you have any tips for organizations on how to recruit more trappers for the community? You know, I I think Tucson obviously is a very highly passionate animal community. So I don't want to say it's easy, but it's probably easier than some communities. But I think it's just the value of, of a pet and thinking of them as a family member, which so many of us do, and that they should all be treated respectfully and cared for. And I think that starts to grow in time. And I, I see that it's certainly grown in my communities that I've been in. Popcats, the celebration of cats meet pop culture, will make its electrifying debut in Miami Saturday, October 28, 2017, at the Miami Airport Convention Center. The curated show will feature a ridiculously adorable cat lounge, visual artists, inspiring speakers, art installations, and the makers of the most innovative products of the cat universe. PopCat's core mission is to raise awareness about cat welfare efforts by crafting an experience that mixes entertainment with advocacy. A portion of proceeds will benefit the Cat Network, a cat-centric not-for-profit organization with over 20 years of service in South Florida. The convention will welcome an invasion of cat lovers, curious spectators, and pop culture fans to a scene flooded with music and immersive art installations specifically designed to ignite shareable memories. The exhibition floor will also grant visitors the unique opportunity to meet national and international talent that have grasped the fascination of the internet community. Highlights amongst the speakers are fervent rescuer Tumblr's meme librarian Amanda Brennan, Lorenzo the Cat photographer Joanne Biondi, and Shark Tank presenter and Apollo's Peak Pet Beverages founder Brandon Zavala. A giant bubble cat lounge will also be a can't-miss feature at PopCats, where attendees will be able to interact freely with an irresistible herd of adoptable cats brought by the Cat Network. For more information and tickets, please go to www.popcatsshow.com. If you like the Community Cats podcast and would like to help promote Community Cats in your state, then we need you. We're looking for a couple of people from each state to be Community Cats ambassadors. What do you get by being an ambassador? You'll be mailed a promo kit of items to use to help promote the show at any event that you attend in your state. If you don't attend many events, hey, that's okay too. Do you have a network of people that love Community Cats? You can help with emailing groups in your state to let them know about the CCP and offer them the benefit of Community Cat swag. The more we can spread the word about the show, the more we can do to help cats across the country. Please email Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com if you'd like to represent your state. Thank you. Thank you.
So we're going to turn the tables here because I'm just an, yet another topic that I'm just dying to talk to you about, which is the program that you have for the feline leukemia positive cats and maybe share your thoughts with regards to feline leukemia with our listeners, sort of what you've gone through in your discovery about it. Sure. In my very first shelter, we would see the occasional FELV positive cat or kitten. And we did test our our shelter cats. Everyone was tested for FIV, FELV, because we found that what's the first question your vet asks you about your pet cat? Is it been tested for FIV, FELV? It's just standard. And if it hasn't, they want to do it. So as routine, we always tested for FIV and FELV. And we would come across the occasional FIV positive or FELV positive kitten or cat. When I moved to Tucson, I was pretty much overwhelmed with the number of FELV positive kittens and cats that we had in our shelter. And no one could really give me an answer as to why they thought we had so many. So our shelter does regularly test for FELV. They don't test kittens for FIV. But we found that the the rate of FELV positive kittens and cats that we were getting was exceeding 15% of our shelter population. And in our TNR program, while it is an option for a trapper to test, it's nothing that is mandatory or nothing that we require it's just on our surgical consent form. If they choose to do it, they acknowledge that they want it done. We cover the cost and just let them know the results. But certainly 15% of our population was a huge number considering that the average in the United States is about 3%. And we did find that people were very reticent and reluctant to adopt these cats because they just didn't know either what they were getting into or what was going to happen. And we are a no-kill shelter, so the cats aren't euthanized, but obviously they would be with us for quite a long period of time. And I know it's been, they can only go to an FELV positive home or they can only go to an only cat home. And I thought, well, what's the likelihood of that? I mean, I have multiple cats. You probably have multiple cats. Most people have multiple cats. And yes, there are adopters that do just want a single cat, and that's great, but it doesn't happen very often. They usually want multiples or they already have cats. So I thought there has to be a way to assure people that an FELV positive cat can live a pretty healthy life, particularly if they're in a stress-free environment. They see the vet regularly. They live have a good diet and for the most part are kept relatively healthy as much as possible. So I started doing research on what would happen if we placed FELV positive cats in a home with negative cats. My own experience with my FIV positive cat, you know, at first it was, oh, he can't be with other cats. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous. I'm going to have other cats. In the first few years of his life when he was with my other cats, I tested them regularly to see, God, did he give them FIV? The answer was no, he didn't. Once he was neutered, he wasn't combative. He didn't have the male responses. And I thought, well, couldn't it be the same for FELV if the negative cats could be protected? So I did a boatload of research, as you would imagine, on the vaccines. And Dr. Hall was a great inspiration to me because I ran everything by her in terms of my thoughts. 
So I looked at all the pharmaceutical companies' research on their vaccine, and for the most part, all pretty positive. The vaccine would protect a negative cat against FELV. But the one research paper I found the most interesting was one done by National Institutes of Health, NIH. And they did exhaustive research on about seven vaccines that were to prevent FELV. And I found that one in particular was pretty much close to 100% protected. So I presented my idea to our COO of the organization and said, what do you think if we could offer free testing and vaccination of owned cats to people who were willing to adopt an FELV positive cat? And she said, go for it. So that's how we started promoting our FELV positive cats because they're wonderful cats. And of course, as soon as they eye somebody that they think they want to go home with, it's almost a done deal. So whenever any of our potential adopters have cats and they want to adopt an FELB positive cat, they bring their cats in for testing. And it doesn't, doesn't matter how many they have at home. If they're all well cared for and healthy, we'll test them. If they're negative, we'll vaccinate them. They come back two to three weeks later and we booster. They wait another two weeks and then they can take their FELV positive cat home. We have placed every single one of our FELV positive cats and it's not a deterrent any longer. People love the program. They've been very responsive to it. It's not that fear factor that it was for, for so long and the great news is that our FELV positive cats find great homes. And because we see many of them from time to time for their visits, they come to visit us or they've come for their FRPC boosters or the rabies boosters, we know that they're in great hands and in great condition. So how long has this program been going? It's been going for the three years I've been here. So you are actually collecting quite a bit of, of information. You have not so far had any sort of reports of transmission from any of the cats that have been placed? None. And, and we're uh, very happy to retest their negative cats if they have any concerns. And no one has had any concerns. And do you have a sense on the numbers of cats that have been placed? Boy, our shelter director probably has the exact number. I can probably think of over 50 just off the top of my head. Yep. Well, that's fantastic because that's that's a, it's a great number. And, uh, you know, I mean, every cat counts. They do. Yeah. And so the more that we can find options for these Feluc positive cats, the, the better off we all are. So I think this is a phenomenal idea and hopefully we'll be able to get that link to the National Institutes for Health, that article. Uh, and I'll try, I'll make sure we get that in the show notes so people can reference it and, and find out more details about this and how they would be able to possibly implement this in their own shelter. So I, I don't want to take up too much time just talking about feline leukemia because you've also done research and when you touched upon FIV and I kind of feel like FIV we've we've talked about quite a bit in our show and and advocate very strongly that it's perfectly fine to have an FIV positive cat in a home with a negative cat as well as I believe that any of these cats as long as a cat looks looks good, healthy, and well-fed, should just get spayed and neutered and returned to its colony if it's destined to be a community cat, too. But there's one other topic you actually have done some research on, which is FIP. Do you have anything new and exciting or interesting that, that you've learned over your years of research with regards to that? Gosh, you know, 
that one's probably one of the most devastating ones of all. And about 10 years ago, we went through a spate of FIP kittens at my San Gabriel shelter. And we have a Western Veterinary School in Pomona, California. And Dr. Pedro Denise had requested that he come to our shelter and take blood samples because he was doing FIP research. And we hosted the Western team and he, he had done quite a, quite a bit of research, but you know, that's that one elusive virus that no one seems to get a handle on. And I have seen over the 10 years since we had that horrific outbreak that it almost seems cyclical, which kind of replicates what viruses do. I haven't seen an outbreak quite so bad. But I did foster a pair of kittens about two years ago. And one of them, poor little thing, she had everything wrong that you could imagine was wrong with a kitten. She had at just a few months old, the worst stomatitis. She skeletally wasn't quite developed appropriately. And the little male that I had was quite healthy and robust. But I thought, you know what, I need to keep her because she's going to need so much medical care. And I want to ensure that she gets it. She's quite bonded to him, so I'm going to keep him as well. Well, when he turned one, he developed FIP. And he was the most healthy kitten you could imagine from the get-go. So, of course, it was quite devastating. I had to let him go. I wasn't going to watch him suffer because I'd seen too much of that with FIP. But, God, I wish that was one virus that they could really get a handle on. We haven't seen it except for, I think it was last year, we saw a little bit here in Tucson with some of our shelter kittens. But I know probably just around the bend, there's going to be another, you know, viral outbreak of it. And I'm truly hoping that the research can continue on FIP because it probably is one of the most devastating viruses to cats that we've seen. And obviously, it it can literally devastate a kitten population. So Pat, if uh, people are interested in finding out more about your programs, the kitten kindergarten, as well as the feline leukemia positive adoption program, how would they reach out to you? They can certainly reach me by email, which is pbrayer at hssaz.org. And they can certainly go on our website. Our emails are all posted. Uh, My direct telephone line here at the Humane Society is area code 520-321-3706. Everyone can feel free to call me. I'm happy to send out the research reports that we all reviewed and concluded that we certainly could support a program of testing and vaccinating owned cats so that potential adopters could feel secure in adopting an FELV-positive cat. That sounds great. Pat, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Uh, Certainly. Please continue to support TNR. I know it can be quite exhaustive, uh, setting out traps the night before, monitoring them, transporting the cats to a spay-neuter facility, but it is so worthwhile. And when you catch those little guys, Try to encourage your local community to create a socialization program for them. It's not that hard. The rewards are more tremendous than you can ever imagine. And knowing that they are in safe, secure homes instead of out there kind of facing 
the foes of nature. It's just such a great thing. It really is. Pat, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you out in the future. Oh, I'd love to be a guest. Thank you so much, Stacy, And thank you for what you do. And thank you everyone out there who advocates for cats. I found that so many times they're the fourth place citizens in, in shelters and in communities, and they really need to be right up there because they're, they're the best. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 